Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Prevost. And I'm your host, Shelly Prevost. We are the podcast for the Big Self School, and we offer classes, coaching, and books to help you rediscover your purpose and activate it in bigger ways. And to that end today, we are talking with Dr. Chris Collins. He received his Doctor of Chiropractic from Sherman College of Chiropractic in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And he has a background in exercise physiology and cardiopulmonary rehabilitation. Chris's advanced training in knee, chest, upper cervical technique, which is one of the most researched and advanced applications of chiropractic today. We met Chris through the Big Self School, so we can honestly say that Chris is a verified Big Selfer. He has a big heart and he wants to build communities where people have access to everything they need to lead a healthy life. Chris Collins, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Welcome to to me. (laughs) Hey, guys. I'm excited to be here. Is it a little bit weird being on the other side of the the mic? Because you have a podcast as well. It is, yeah. Um, Occasionally, um, too, I, I feel like I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to envision actually sitting here talking to you guys, even though I'm alone in a room right now. <laughs> I know. We'll just close our eyes and we'll all imagine we're having coffee at a coffee That's shop. That's right. Well, I am having coffee. Oh, good. So. Good. I've oh, a, very good. I've got a bubbly. So, and the, yeah. you know, the wonders of technology where we can all be here together at the same time, as far as our listeners are concerned, you know, we've talked, we've talked to people, you know, in, in Spain, we can talk to people in Sacramento and in your case, we can talk with people right here in our very own community. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a amazing. Thing. So we're going to dive in. Great. Um, we have already let people know your background a little bit, that you are a chiropractor here in town um, mm-hmm. and part of our big self community. So yeah. I wanted to just um, start a little bit back in 2017, you and Aaron, your wife moved here to Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. Was it 2017? It was 2000. Actually, I came here earlier okay. um, and and scoped out the the city. And I came in August. Funny story. Uh, I came in to town as uh, as the drought was sort of at its peak in August of 2016, and um, and lived in my dad's uh, girlfriend's basement. Um, so that was that was real fun for the, <laughs> the first month that I lived here, and then I moved back to. Spartanburg was where we were living while I was in school, and um, but it was it was uh, in a crazy turn of events. As I pulled into town, my AC went out, and then it was the drought, and there was wow. smoke, and it was all kinds of crazy stuff that happened when we came into town. But um, but yeah, 2017 was when we both set our paws down mm-hmm. um, here in in the city to, to set in yeah. roots. Yeah, well, we're not from Chattanooga either, but um, in spite of the the headwinds that you experienced, you you obviously thought it was a uh, a place to form some some community. You know, like some people ask me, "Are you from Chattanooga?" and I say, "No," but as soon as I knew about it, I came as fast as I could. That's exactly how we felt. Yeah, and the headwinds, although challenging, we definitely had conversations about: is this you know a sign that's pushing us back? Um, yeah. we, we said, this is where we want to be. So, so you know, one of the yeah. things that has struck me so much about you is this passion for community that you have, or, you know, for, yeah. at least from me watching you and the, the way that you work, 
uh, and you've really jumped in kind of both feet into this community. So like, why is it so important to you? And tell us a little bit about kind of the vision you have for the community you're creating, not just for your patients, but um, I think for everybody in this community, in, in our city who wants to live a healthy life. Give us your vision a little bit and how you're doing that. Yeah, you know, it's an f- interesting um, conversation as far as why I'm drawn to community because it is something that I feel like it's just I wake up every day and I think about, um, and it sounds cheesy, I wake up every day and I think about who's in our community, how can I help them, how can I contribute, and how can I do my my thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just on my mind all the time. Um, bringing people together is on my mind. How would you and, define community first? Like, what do you, what do you think of when I even say that word? Oh, I think that, um, you know, it's, it's when, when two people come together, you know, it's, it's, it's not even, it doesn't even have to be physically, you know, I can have community yeah. with a best friend of mine over the phone and, um, I can have community, you know, uh, with my, my wife and we're both being, you know, intentional about sort of thinking about the same thing. It's sort of like when two, you know, living people or, or even just living things kind of create Mm -hmm. some sort of connection over the same, same cause or something like that. You know, if I was just going right off the top of my head, that's how I would think about it. Yeah. Well, I like that, you know, and as a matter of fact, you have been given a lot of thought to this idea of forming connection. You talked about it on your Mind Garden podcast recently, you recently yeah. talked about forming connection more mindfully. So what, what do you mean by that? How do you form connection mindfully, Chris? You know, I think um, really in the conversations we've we've had with it on the podcast too was just to always look at, you know, what is nature doing or what are living things doing and how do they connect? One of the the more popular episodes that we had there um, in that month of connectedness was being a lone wolf or not. And um, I think a lot of people connected with that because sometimes too, we live in a world where we can get really, you know, burned badly by other people and being burned by connection. And even now, I think, you know, we've had people having constant opportunity to look at how to not stay connected, you know, uh, between COVID, you know, there's always, there's all this anti-connection going on. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, just to kind of come back to that point of why it's so important. It's because all living things need connectedness. And actually, um, we can't resist it. It's, it's what's drawing us all together um, all the time. So even to go into sort of a solo or lone wolf, I mean, that's called being rogue. And usually what happens in nature is rogue cells die, you know, hmm. um, you know, even if they do thrive for a period. Yeah. So that's sort of maybe cryptic. Sorry. Yeah, this is what it's making me think about. Um, yet the flip side of connection is is potential betrayal, you know, or loss or mm-hmm. uh, disconnection, you know. And I think that that so much, like a lot of Brene Brown's work, is around the shame. Uh, yeah. Kind of how we internalize and then project out these these feelings of shame. And it is like when we're connecting with people, 
Uh, and I love that idea of intentionality, even just with one person. We are really risking being betrayed or being um, judged or like there is this vulnerability in saying, OK, I'm going to walk towards you. I'm not gonna, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. And that to me is when you do that together with people, that is community. And I was the lone wolf thing. I was thinking about when we, when I ended my startup and felt like a mate, like just deep, deep betrayal, lots of loss of trust, lots of like, Mm. uh, just a lot of sorrow and pain around that. And I, and I, we literally moved up to signal mountain at that point. And I felt like I was in hiding for like a year, a good year. And it was a healing hiding, but it was still a hiding. And I think it was this kind of going back in my shell and this lone wolf that wanted to kind of keep me from being hurt again. And so I think that there's something uh, really important that you're saying, like that in systems in the world, that's, that's that kind of fluidity is natural and normal. And we need to, to name it and be intentional about it and really understand when we're called to connection and maybe when we're called to boundary too. Absolutely. And I think that you, that story, by the way, always, every time I hear you tell it is, it's inspiring. But I know, <laughs> well, no, I, I think that I probably um, have told you that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We've had conversations about it, but I, I love it at the same time because the, I think it's so relatable in the way that we all really want to drive ourselves to see something bigger that we can be a part of yeah. and create and have this meaningful thing. And then and we, we don't ever think that we're going to sacrifice ourselves so much in the process. It's, it's almost, um, but I, you know, I think at the same time, it's great to like, it inspires me too, because it's, it shows us that we do have those boundaries that we have to create. I've been in that mm-hmm. same place before. It's just, I need to wall off a little bit in order to protect yeah you know, what's going on until I can process and then to kind of move forward. Yeah. And I just, I think the healthiest people have really strong boundaries. I think that when you're very clear on how you want to connect with people, you know, when that's going sideways or when it's unhealthy Mm -hmm. for you and you can create some boundaries so that, so that you can connect in a healthy way so that you can stay in community with people. So I, I just really think there's, I talk about dangerous people a lot, like this idea that unconscious people can be very dangerous people, and mm. but we still need they're still a part of community our community too. So we have to understand how to how to dance with them in a healthy way. Yeah, you know? that's that's super good. Well, I mean, okay, so well, Chad's I, pondering. I've had so, well while we're ta- okay, so we're talking about. I thought we were talking about community, but now you're talking about um, the need for boundaries from that. And so it's, I'm giving a little thought to it. I've had um, also some experiences of building communities where, in the end, those uh, collaborations or communities that we were building um, broke down, or trust with partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah broke down and yet here we are you know sort of I guess in a more hopeful place and what I I guess we sometimes talk about failure and resilience and learning from those experiences it's like 
I still want to build community, you know, in spite of being burned. But yeah, I'm going in kind of wiser, knowing the type of people that I want to work and collaborate with. But yeah, collaborations are hard. And I think more often than not, they fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's because, you know, connect, connecting and in, in community, it's risky. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. you have to know going in. Um, where your expectations lie too. And and I felt that uh, Aaron and I, my wife, uh, his name's Aaron. Um, we always have conversations about keeping up with friends. And this is actually something I talked about in the podcast too. Um, and this is true in, in small business in, in Chattanooga big time because, um, you know, everyone tends to get focused on their own thing and they just forget that they need community and one of the things that Aaron and I have always tried to do was reach out to our friends, whether or not they reciprocate. And the same goes with businesses in town. Um, I try to stay connected with people, whether or not, because I'm not, if, if truly I'm not looking for anything in return, you know, I might be looking for simply just a connection, even if it's me having to initiate it. And that's risky, but at the same time, I can't get disappointed if they never reciprocate if I knew going in that I wasn't expecting reciprocation, Mm -hmm. you know? Hmm. Does this come up in your practice in like um, concrete ways? Because I'm thinking, you know, you and I have talked a lot about you really do treat the whole person. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that your, your main work is in chiropractic care, but you really do look holistically at people. So, I mean... And this idea of loneliness, I think, is really apparent right now in the pandemic. Um, whether people call it that or not, there's a lot of loneliness. And we know that kind of emotional, um, like unprocessed emotions end up in the body. And, yeah. in you know, in some painful, some unhealthy ways. And so are, do you help people make that connection to community and, and connection um, or is it just something that most people want to just get a physical kind of symptom relief from and that's that's good enough? Well, I, you know, just to answer that question, um, I think that first, you know, it, it's a two-way street any time um, we're, we're working with trying to help someone connect. You know, a lot of things that I help people with, for example, they may come in with a symptom um, like migraines, uh, vertigo, those are all things that I, I help people with. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, you know, a good part of my work with looking at things holistically came up when I first went into practice and I was, um, I was, you know, excited about helping people with all kinds of, um, different, you know, chiropractic things. And specifically for me, I I work a lot with the upper cervical spine. That's my area of emphasis and expertise. And so I work with a lot of really difficult chronic conditions like unresolved migraines and, and those can be debilitating and and coop someone up in in their house, you know, with pain and in the dark. Uh, it's, it's really, really tough. And, you know, um, when these people were coming in I was also finding that every single person was checking off on their case history, anxiety or depression. And specifically, everyone had a relationship with stress. And so I began to ask myself if there was anything I could do about that. 
And just simply, you know, for me, I want to stay in my scope of practice. I'm not trying to be a psychologist or, or a counselor or a therapist um, and definitely refer out for, for that work. But for me, I was like, how can I still help um, people through this process, reduce stress? Because inevitably that will help them get better results in my office as well. And that's where we started moving some of our conversation on the day-to-day. I was like, you know, just as they're coming in, our conversations can be around, you know, how to help them with behaviors, lifestyle changes, and, and be open to create space for that conversation to happen. And it's really, really benefited our clients. And that's even why I started with the Mind Garden uh, Stress Less podcast. It's just simply around stressing less and growing more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also created a, um, a guide, which you can actually go to our website and, and download it. It's called the Stress Less Guide. Super simple. Um, nice. And yeah, it's just right there on the front page of Novel Chiropractic. And it is just a intro into some awareness, action, and accountability, which is just some steps that you can take toward knowing yourself better and working through stress. Yeah, well, we'll we'll put that in the show notes and um, remind everybody about that. You know, as we're uh, talking about community, here we are just about, you know, a year. I mean, is is life ever going to be like it was this past January? Probably (laughs) not. Right. So we're talking about community. And, you know, one of the real challenges now is there's not a lot of physical community. Like there's a whole lot of this technology, which is amazing. We're able to talk with each other and share these ideas through technology. But of course, we're also noticing that besides the lifeline that it is, technology is also incredibly all-consuming, highly addictive, hard to disconnect from in spite of what all the amazing mindfulness people may say about, about all these ways to to disconnect. And you actually recently, I think, shared something uh, on social media about like kind of just waking up early. You've got a really good routine and you were immediately upset, though, by, by a video you saw on TikTok distracting you. And when you went outside, your whole mindset shifted. So could you tell us about that experience and just, you know, maybe how you would suggest to your your clients and, and others, how to deal with these issues. Yeah. And that's a, thank you for bringing that up. That's a, a perfect example. I got a lot of attention on that post, I think because people related to it so much and, um, TikTok, you know, so funny because it's made such a big splash, um, has been, uh, it's one of those things that can be really fun and addictive, you know, at the same time. But then every now and then you'll come across something that you just don't want to see. And, um, and that was what happened. I, I think I woke up early that morning. It was cold. I, was, you know, I usually wake up and make a cup of coffee and then make my way to the gym. And I, I kind of deliberately don't get on my phone, but I happened to get on and um, was kind of scrolling while I was getting ready to make my coffee. And then all of a sudden I see this video and I can't remember what it was now, but it, I just know it was one of those. It just makes your heart drop. It's, you know, there was probably, you know, for me as a type seven on the Enneagram, 
I like my pain pain showed up. (laughs) Um, And so I I clicked it off very quickly. And then all of a sudden, everything in my house was super silent. And I just realized that I was putting in all this sensory information in. It was dark. I had the light, you know, the screen on. I was watching a video. The audio was loud, you know, and then everything was super quiet. And then I was there standing in front of my coffee bag. And it had probably been like 12 or 15 minutes had gone by. And I was thinking, I haven't even made my coffee yet. Like, what am I doing? Just standing here, wasting time, and then putting myself in stress. And my heart was racing. And I felt just kind of defeated and guilty all in the same time. And, and so I was like, you know what? It's okay. Like, just, you know, get on with your morning. So just quietly went about my morning, made my coffee. I think I journaled a little bit. Um, which um, I think I've been reading in uh, The Body Keeps the Score again. And and so that's been giving me some insight as well. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of the house and it was just super cold. And then all of a sudden I just, everything starts, my awareness raises about, you know, it's cold outside. My uh, cheeks feel dry, feel like the cold air on my skin and, you know, this prickly feeling. And then I'm hearing the crunching of the ground. And it was just this surreal, visceral moment where, and I thought to myself, this is the kind of overstimulation I need, you know? Um, Hmm. And that, that moment, I think for, for me was a reminder that I'm human, um, that I need that kind of stimulation versus just living up in my brain on social all the time. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how the story went. <laughs> yeah, of course it answers it. It's, um, I mean, I don't know that we we do have an answer to you know how to how we're so paradoxically connected to our devices and yet they're also addictive and. Well, it's such a complicated time right now for that mm-hmm. for for us to navigate this. Like, because I'm aware that it's you know I'm on my phone a lot. Um, our daughter tells me like, mom, you're on your phone too much. Right. And it's, it is, there's this like guilt with that, but then there's also this rationalization with that. Mm -hmm. And I do think it takes something like, like probably what you saw to really give us this stark contrast of like, what am I doing? Uh, Mm -hmm. We have to, we have to experience some kind of, um, Oh, I don't know the right word, but something within us that dissents. It's like, no, stop. And otherwise we just get into the, I do anyway, get into this autopilot of this habituation, which we talk a lot about the habits, good and bad, but it is such a habit for me during COVID to just, that's just, I work on my phone. I'm keeping up with the kids on my phone. And it's, um, when I, when I read your post, Chris, I was, and I knew I saw people were responding Um, And I'm really, I'm curious kind of your response to how people are responding, but it did strike a chord with people, Yeah, you know, like they, I don't know why, but I think maybe we're all in this kind of uh, junk, junked out on technology right now. So it was just a beautiful story and a beautiful reminder. What did you think about all everybody's responses? Well, you know, I was, I was surprised that it was so much. Um, I, you know, a bunch of people were kind of wanting the story to go on to, I think, like to get, you know, what's interesting about the way I wrote it too, I tried to write some of those posts as if I'm writing a book and 
a story, you know, as it's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I think people felt connected to being in the story as well. And, you know, it's, it's sharing vulnerability on social media. And that's a great way to, you know, kind of consider the conversation around social media about, hey, how can we be less of a facade, less of a, like you and I um, talked, Shelly, about masks and put less of a mask up. And to answer um, your question, Chad, about how I might help a client with a story like this, it's, it's just like those conversations, you know, that you're having day to day with people and you say, you know, I've, I've gone through something similar. I had this happen the other day and then I did this. And some of my clients, some of my favorite feedback that I get from them, and it's always means so much to me, you know, I see that you're doing this and that you don't give up just because you reach a challenge and, you know, you continue to put in little by little. And it's not to say that we can, you know, cut off cold turkey and that's like the living a monk lifestyle or something like that. I think you and I talked about that, Shelly, mm-hmm, too. Yeah. Um, is, but it's, it's more of these like little drops of awareness along the way. It's these incremental small steps that we can take to raise our awareness, to change our actions, and then just, you know, checking in on ourselves every now and then on that sort of thing so that we can have the behaviors we want to at the end of the day. Yeah, they they were like, I think the audience was like, oh, this was like kind of a short story with a, 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 an epiphany, a, a minor insight or realization. But what they were wanting was the novel. Did you, <laughs> you know, did you finish Happily Ever After? Yeah, well, I went to the gym that morning. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, but that's very much how life goes. Sometimes you end up having a really special moment like that. And then your day just goes on. You know? <laughs> and then... And then some day, some days too, um, you have a really insightful moment like that, and you wake up the next day, and you're still hooked on social, and, it, and you get frustrated with yourself, and you're like, "I literally just had this conversation with myself yesterday," yeah. and that's life too, you know. That's and I, I think that the whole idea is not this, you know, as far as managing these stressful moments it, or or managing our own behaviors, it's practice. It's a process. It's mastering your behaviors and your disciplines over time, but it's, it shouldn't be perfect all the time. I love that message. I I need to, I kind of need to hear that. You know, we're, I think lately I've been fading away from some of the good habits that I've had established and I'm wondering where did they go? And so I started uh, journaling again this very day and, uh, and it's just like a mindset shift. It, it really feels good. I'm sorry, I interrupted you, Shelly. No, that's okay. You yeah, seem I, aff- I, annoyed. No, I'm not annoyed. <laughs> I, I want to ask you two, both of you two. Oh. Then, um, Ooh, so, because we've talked about this quite a bit, um, about men and women mm-hmm. and the different kind of perspectives around vulnerability. And um, I know you both share that value as men, you know, the, the best men that I know are really comfortable with emotions, expressing emotions. They're just not, it's not a a shameful experience for them. So Chris, as you were talking, I was like, man, how did he get here? Like, how did you get to this level of, uh, being okay with being vulnerable, especially in, you know, a lot of 
people, a lot of men that I have worked with, they, they deal with it one-on-one, but to be able to talk about it, um, at scale, the way that you do, is this just kind of how you are and how you're wired? Um, and then I guess to go with that, to both of you all, kind of the, the language around emotions and vulnerability, how you, how do you interpret that as men in the world and make that okay? Because you're both pretty emotionally expressive. All right, Chris, you first. Well, Shelly, first I need you to put this in writing for me and Chad so we can read it every day for an affirmation. <laughs> yes, yeah. I just need to have that reminder somewhere that someone thought that. <laughs> uh, no, maybe um, smoke and mirrors. You know, I don't know, but I'm just saying. No, yeah. You know, I think that I I say that because it's it it is a practice. I think you know Chad could probably relate to that too. You're never. You're always working on yourself and you're never where you want to be. That's, that's as far as like that. I don't know if that's a, but do you, um, I don't think a lot of men are. Well, see, I, here's, here's what I was, I don't know, but I was hearing in him this message of life's a process, have grace for yourself. It's not about perfectionism. Yeah. I was hearing some of that, not necessarily just emotional vulnerability. Well, I was talking specifically about the post. Like being oh, able okay. to share that, I think gotcha. is so okay. powerful, but it puts so, you in a position of vulnerability with people that are reading it. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so to answer that, um, my desire to share and to connect with people and even in my community comes from my desire for people to not feel alone. Mm-hmm. So that, that may be where that comes from, um, for me, I think that there have been, I've, I've had a lot of, you know, past experiences of really hard times. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we're talking just briefly about, I mentioned the, the Enneagram 7 in me. Um, a lot of Enneagram 7s, you know, as exciting and fun and, and stuff as they are, they've had some really hard times in their past. Mm-hmm. And so just had some heightened emotional painful moments, um, in my past. And I even the other day, I don't know if you saw it come through, but on your big self, uh, what, uh, what's been the most transformative experience? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a post that you made. Yeah. And so I put on there, you know, cause I'd actually been wrestling with that thought. I'm like, man, all of mine are like born out of pain, yeah. <laughs> but I don't want people to feel pain. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, as I start to process it and and think about, man, I want people to feel connected. And I want to, at the end of the day, I would like someone to know that at least they got me. Even uh, my clients, that's one thing that I say, especially that, that may come up with people who've been dealing with chronic pain issues for, you know, 10 years or more. I've had clients who've had migraines for their ent- almost their entire life, like 40 years, and um, have to get up and do work every day, just like everybody else. And, um, that's something where I say, well, you know, at least we're in this together now, you know, you've got someone else in your corner and I don't know what it's like, but I am here with you, you know? And, um, and I think that, that in that post too, and, and it's speaking about that as far as eloquating it, you know, in my own language has just been a process of you know, every accumulation of every relationship I've ever had, you know, it's like, um, my relationship with my wife presses me to communicate better. My relationship with my community, my clients, myself, you know, it all comes down to that. 
Wow. It comes back to connection, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it's it all does. it's all connecting here. Uh, wow, that's that's some good stuff. So, well, you may have, in a sense, answered this very uh, question. You know, I, I know originally, I think part of your story is you were skepti- skeptical about becoming a chiropractic doctor. Um, so could you tell us why were you reluctant at first and then what shifted? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I... I run into people all the time. You know, the majority of my clients have never even been to a chiropractor. And um, I, it's something I'm very proud of because in our profession, there's a lot of skepticism um, socially with our profession. And there's probably, you know, it's around 12% of the population that utilizes chiropractic. And, and I kind of get it in a lot of um, standpoints, you know, just from the variety of things that you might see out there. But as far as it being helpful and transformative, there's definitely, you know, science to support that. And um, for for me, when I went into the profession, it was in college that I was first introduced to it. And the person who was a chiropractor who was speaking in front of our class kind of laid out the philosophy behind it, which was all around seeing the body as a self-healing organism. And that really, really spoke to me. But as I, I wasn't able to shadow him in that time, but as I shadowed some other chiropractors and started learning about it, I was like, man, these guys are a bunch of like, it's pain management. It seems like they're just this quick fix and people are having to go back to them forever and ever. And it just didn't seem like it was really, really helping people. There was these weird insurance models and it was, it just didn't sit right with me. And um, that was my skepticism. I think, you know, in my 20s and never having had any experience with it, um, I just had experience with primary care up uh, until that point. So um, that's where I landed and wasn't super interested other than I was really interested in the human body. I was in exercise physiology um, before chiropractic. And so I was really into nerding out about the body. But what shifted for me was that a mentor, and I've always had mentors since I was, I would say, in my um, early teens. Um, I had a mentor at the time kind of say, you know, I think that you really should look into shadowing someone that you referred to because you're, you're super good with like hands-on, you're really good with people, you're really good with touch. And so I took his advice and I, I got referred to a chiropractor and I went into their office, just kind of um, reached out to them, went in their office and I said, hey, I'm just wanting to learn more about the profession because maybe something I'm interested in. And that chiropractor was so passionate about helping people that it just totally shifted my mentality. Um, so that's what sort of broke the, the dam on, on me actually taking the the leap. Um, the school I went to was also, uh, more of a, a small classroom setting. And that was a huge benefit to me being more of a relational kind of person. Mm. And then what really changed things for me and how I got into upper cervical, uh, work was, going from the general chiropractic models to seeing these, this more specific work of uh, really conservative and personalized care and objective analysis and all of this that I do now that really helped my wife with um, migraines. She was having migraines two or three times a week oh, wow. and having to miss out on work, take sick days. 
Um, they were getting worse and worse. She was under chiropractic care. It wasn't getting any better. And so we were super, you know, dumbf- dumbfounded and it, until we got the referral to go see this upper cervical doctor. And, and that's that what, what got you into that? Yeah, that mentor now, like I just talked to him last night on the phone. Um, that mentor now was, uh, or that mentor at that time was a really huge life changer for us. Aaron went from having them three times a week to um, down at, at that first month, she was already seeing results. She's probably down to like once every wow. week or other week, maybe one to two times a week. And then by the end of care, she did, I mean, she doesn't even have them anymore. So that's been awesome mm-hmm. just because she's been under care. So um, you and I talked one time about, I can't remember how you said it, but basically like if, if patients did some work outside, like if they came to see me, then they might not come to see, have to come to see you or something like that. And I think the the context of our conversation was if they, if they, if people did these practices outside of the office, then they may not have to endure the pain that would bring them to your door. So I wanted to ask you and totally putting you on the spot, like what are the top three habits, practices, whatever you want to call them, health, healthy habits that you would love to see people start, you know, our whole society start doing more of so that they don't have to endure the pain of the people that you see in your practice. Yeah. For in that, that, um, that is a great, uh, great purpose-driven question, you know, for people to really be able to do things outside as much as possible is the whole goal. And it should be the goal of any practitioner or clinician is to help people be as autonomous and independent on their own as possible, you know, without the need for the, the practitioner. And for, for me, the way I would answer that is some way of uh, awareness you know, and it kind of comes back to that guide I, I mentioned, a sense of awareness that could come through meditation, yoga, journaling, um, something that requires thinking and processing, um, because that's going to help you process stress as it's coming. Um, some way of movement. So that would be, could be, you know, yoga is another good one there. Exercise, walking, running, dancing, um, something that you can process stress physically. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would say the the third to that would be finding a way to plan around your lifestyle. You know, diet, fitness, um, your rest, your uh, your you know uh, planning for the year of how you're going to plan for your health. You know, if let's see if if you're doing those things, you know, um, and it's, I'm seeing that there's like a connection loss on my end. Sorry if that's the case. Um, I think we're good. Okay, good. Um, so those three things are all help you process and plan to process stress better. Even on days when you're not perfect, the planning will really come in handy as well. But having that in your life will help you with the accumulation of stressors, you know, and, and that's really the whole thing that, that gives us problems in the first place in our health is the inability to adapt to stress um, and, or stressors, I, I would say. So if things are on your, if things are on your um, accumulating so much to the point that you can't resist or you can't push back, 
um, that's when it really begins to cause problems. And most of the time, people just, you know, over time accumulate all the stress. It's like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. And so the camel wouldn't be in the chiropractor in the first place, you know, if with a broken back, if he had, you know, done some work or maybe someone didn't overload him so so much. And for us, it's our own responsibility to kind of look at that or get help if we need it. Yeah, that's good. I've I've been reading this, the burnout book by the Nagoski sisters, I think is what, I think that's how you say their name, who talks all about the stress cycle. But what they don't talk as much about is the stressors, like personalized Mm -hmm. stressors and, and why we get into a stress cycle. So I think I've talked to you about that too. Like that's something that I think people really need help with that level of awareness because I know I'm stressed, but I don't know where it's coming from. I don't, I have uh, high expectations and low reality testing or uh, I have so much anxiety about keeping everything in the, in the air because I have these unchecked kind of standards for myself. So I think, I think that's the kind of next level of work that I've, I, I, the awareness piece of this. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. It's always, it comes down to what you can control and what you cannot control Yeah. because with anything there, you have a certain amount of, you know, innate intelligence uh, that's able to, you know, work through some of this stuff. But at, at the same time, there are limitations to your matter or limitations to your body. If there are things that you may need help with, and that could even be chemical pathways that's that, right you know, you need to, to work through for, for me, it may be things in their spine that cause them to stay in a constant state of fight and flight mm-hmm. sympathetic, um, mode in your body is to, to defend constantly you're in danger. And that really affects the way that you, you know, interact with your environment. So it also affects your healing. It affects, um, and then those problems can cause compensations, which lead to other issues where, you know, I could be working with someone and they're like, oh, it's so weird that my big toe pain went away and you only adjusted me in my neck. <laughs> you know? yeah. So things were, you know, it's all connected, but at the same time, these were limitations that, you know, interrupted the normal cycle of things. Yeah. So that would be out of their control, the things that they can control. That's what we try to help them with on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. So all kinds of connections being made here from community to within the own body to each other. Uh, You are speaking our love language or our very language. It's I guess why you're a big sulfur, Chris. Uh, It's been awesome. Thank you so much for taking some time to share with us some of your wisdom and experience. Thank you so much for having me. And um, I love what you guys are doing. I think that, um, I've benefited from the the prompting that you guys give the community, and it's really meant a lot to me and to my family as well. Wow. Well, thank, well, you. thank you. Hey, how can everybody get in touch, maybe form a little bit more community with you? Where, where can they go? So the easiest place, um, if people want the Stress Less Guide, they can go to our website, check us out there at novelchiropractic.com. Um, there's a lot of different resources there. Another way would just to be um, be following us on Instagram or Facebook. Um, you can follow us at Novel Chiropractic on Instagram. And, um, I'm also on there as dr.chriscollins. And uh, you can follow me there. And if you have any questions, as always, I try to encourage my community to reach out to me. I'm happy to answer. Yeah, you're questions. really good about that, making yeah. yourself available 
on so many levels to people, uh, even if they're not your patients. I just think that's really awesome. Everywhere social media tools can be found, you can find Dr. Chris Collins. He's out there. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for your time and your commitment to this community. You You bet. bet. Thanks for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. This episode was brought to you ad-free by the Big Self School. We've been doing this for a year now, a growing community of over from people all over the globe. I think about 34 countries was the last time I counted. And you could help us with our online visibility if you could leave us a review on Apple iTunes. We would be deeply grateful. You just find us at Big Self School on Apple iTunes, and that would be a great help next week. Stay tuned for our guest. She is Katarina Castula. She's an executive leadership coach with a a brand new book coming out from Penguin. And of all things, it's on meetings. She busts the myth of the lonely genius and shares with us why we need to, we need each other to collaborate and to become our best, biggest self. And she actually, she makes meetings compelling. We have to work with each other. We have to have meetings. How can we make them more creative? How can we be more creative in them? How can we make them more cohesive? And you know what? How can we do more by actually meeting less You're going to love this one. We'll see you next week.